Anyway, now you can hear me. Dave Gorgas, I'm on the elder board here. Pastor Scott, as you probably know, went back to Ohio to be with the family, and he asked me to fill in this morning. So I'm happy to bring God's word to you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We know it performs its work in us who, who believe. And I just pray this morning that as we're gathered here, that all of those who are gathered here with us may know the Lord as their Savior. And if not, that they might trust him for salvation, repent of sin, and come back to God. So we just pray for your uh, wisdom as we go through the word this morning and the encouragement and that we all may take it away with us and be blessed. And we ask all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you notice up on the screen, we are in chapter 14, verses 22 through 36. A few more than were read this morning, and I will go through them. Um, I thought that it might be good to give you a little bit of a personal story before we get into the actual scripture today. And I'm going to take you back quite a ways because some of you know I'm up in years. 1965 in December, in the U.S. Navy, in the Oceanographic Department, yours truly was on a ship in the Bermuda Triangle of all places. And uh, I had a very, very painful, dangerous uh, condition in my GI system, and I won't go into any great detail on it, but I would have died if I had stayed on that ship. It would have been the end of my life. And we were taking 28-foot seas in the North Atlantic. Pretty severe conditions. And I knew I wasn't getting any better. There was no doctor on our ship. And the captain of our ship said, you know, I really can't let you go over to the Canadian ship where the doctor is because it's too rough in the seas. I said, I'm not getting any better. And you know, my mother had over the mantle in New York where we lived, and it said, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places. And the Lord brought that scripture to me and I looked at the captain of our ship. I said, I'm not getting any better here. I'm going, God's gonna take care of me. Well, I won't go into any great details, but they lashed me into a stretcher and they, they hung me out over the North Atlantic and this small motorized whale boat from the Canadian icebreaker is going up and down. And the, the captain said, here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna keep lowering you. And when you reach a point to where that small boat is, I'm gonna say now and they're gonna release you and they'll lash you onto the motorized whale boat. Well, I'm not gonna get into any more detail than this, but I'll tell you, when I hit that thud and felt that me hitting that boat, whew, 
And then I started going up and down with the 28-foot seas. Well, we took off, and uh, when you're out at sea like that, and this, the waves are that high, and you go down into a trough, you don't see anything but water, serious water. And I know that the man who came over and led that motorized whaleboat, Archie Turnbull, his brother in the Lord, he's gone home since then to be with the Lord, but he piloted that group over to get me, and he sensed my fear in the water. He put his right hand on my shoulder, and he says, hey, mate, you're going to be all right. And that encouragement that I got at that particular moment took away the fear, and we made it over. And I'm still standing here. I'm not dead. <laughs> so, I'm very thankful. At any rate, I give you that story because I think there's some parallels, too, to what we're going to be getting into this morning. And so, a um, <clears throat> little technology here. This morning, I would call our um, uh, message, Jesus, who is Lord of the storms. He's Lord in and through the storms. I'm not advancing. Would you advance the slide for me, please? Thank you. Um, what our Lord is, is he's the one who raises up the storm. He's in the storm. He's with us through the storm. That's what we have to remember. Now, in the scripture here, it says that immediately the Lord dispatched the disciples. He said, get in the ship and go. And he didn't go with them. Where did he go? He went up onto the mountains. Well, why did the Lord dismiss the people that he had just fed? And you remember Pastor Scott talked about that last week. Why did he do that? and go up on the mountain and pray. Well, if you look over to John's Gospel in chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, uh, the scripture says that when the people saw the sign that he had done, remember he fed all those people, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So just as the disciples went, uh, sent, were sent forth without his presence, what about us? Have you and I been sent out without the physical presence of the Lord into the sea of life? Definitely we have. Well, the other thing is, is the Lord was not about to let them make him king. And why was that? Well, the Lord knew that the reason they wanted him to be king is that you'd be king of our nation. You'd be the one that's going to rule Israel. But they, did, they were not looking for somebody to be the king of their hearts. 
And that's what the Lord wants. He wants to be the king of our hearts. And so the Lord just would have nothing of it. And remember, if you look in uh, Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, the Lord says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So who is the one that installs the king? Is it by selection or election of people? Or is it by God installing him as king? That's what it is. Well, in Luke chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus said, my father granted me a kingdom. And what did he say to Pilate? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this realm. You know, a lot of us like to go around and say, King Jesus, King Jesus, he's my king and everything. Beloved, he's our Lord. He's the boss. You know, when I think of kingship, you know, his, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. He will be king. And we sing that song, King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. You know, that, that, that old time hymn. Well, uh, what does he do, though? He's up there making intercession up on this high mountain. Now, I want you to picture this. Here's the Lord up there praying to the Father. He sends the disciples out to sea in the boat, right? All right. Then, how do you see somebody that far away when they're out on the boat struggling in the water? Do you do it as a mere man, or do you do it as God the Son? He's God the Son, and he can see everything. The eyes of the Lord run to or fro on the, on the face of the earth. He knows everything. Doesn't miss a wink. <clears throat> Technology, can you move the slide, please? <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, there we go. And now I'm moving it. <laughs> That's good. So in his deity, he's fully aware of a disciples' plight, far beyond mere human vision. That's the important thing to remember. I love what uh, an old hymn writer said years ago. He said, the lamb once slain, now in glory bright above. From there, he watches o'er his own, guarding us through the deadly fight. Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that amazing to realize that the Lord is on high making intercession? And he made intercession for the disciples there. He saw them struggling, rowing against the wind. He says the wind was contrary to them. 
And he saw that. Now, you'll notice that, it, that they were beaten by the waves. And beaten by the waves, does the Lord run right out in the middle of the night from up on the mountain and go and deliver them, or does he let them go through the night for a while? That's the important thing to remember, is that, is that our Lord will let us go through storms of life, and he'll let us go for a while but it says that he came walking to them on the water in the fourth, third or fourth watch of the night. If you look up uh, references as to what time that was in Jewish uh, traditions, that's around just before dawn. So now we have this whole night passing and they're struggling out there. And what does the Lord do? He doesn't cause them to be tried more than they can endure that makes the way of escape. He comes walking to them on the sea. Well, the, there was a prior storm event in Matthew 8. And if you read that, and you remember when Pastor Scott went over that, at that particular point in time, the Lord rose and he re rebuked the winds and the sea, and that's when he was laying on the ship sound asleep. And the disciples woke him up and said, hey, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing here? Do something about it. And the Lord got up, and it says he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Well, you'd think they'd know their lesson by then. That was an earlier event. It wasn't the same event. Well, what I want us to see is that there's two things that the Lord rebuked. He rebuked the wind and he rebuked the sea. The reason he rebukes both of them, one is the cause and the other is the effect. If you are, have spent any time around the sea or the ocean, we don't get much of that in Arizona, do we? But if you have, you'll notice that there are such things as wind waves and swell waves swell waves, sometimes you can go to the ocean and watch and you see these huge waves coming in, but there's very little ripple on the top. It's because the wind caused them. That's the cause of the waves. The waves just don't generate themselves there. Well, when the Lord rebukes a problem, he goes to the cause and the effect. That's an important thing to remember. Aren't we happy that we have the Lord who deals with both the cause and the effect? Uh, some of you understand the, the medical profession that are in the room here. I think of Lisa, for example, as a nurse. She understands that it's not enough to, to deal with the effect. You have to get to the cause of it. And that's the way the Lord is. He deals with both. <clears throat> Well, they were beaten by the waves. Now, you notice that when the Lord is, is there, he's walking on the water. He's not in the water. He's on top of it. And if we, if we really recognize that, we would understand that our Lord is above the fray of the world all around us. He sits as king of the flood, it even says that in the scripture. So here's the Lord, he's on top of the storm. 
as it were. He's walking right on top of it. And it, in one of the accounts in the Gospels, it says that he meant to pass them by. Isn't that interesting? You say, Why, what do you mean he meant to pass them by? The Lord looks to be invited in. He doesn't push himself on anybody, but he does want us to invite him in. Remember the two on the way to Emmaus that met the Lord and he talked to them on the way and explained to them everything that had happened and, this, and gave him the wonderful lesson from the scriptures beginning in the Old Testament. It says that when they got to their house that he made as though he would go farther. It says, and they constrained him, come on in. We want you to come in, you know. So the Lord, at that particular point in time, I don't understand how it, the mind of deity works, but it says he meant to pass them by. Well, we get more detail here in Matthew's account as to what the story is, because now they're afraid. And I would just say this, that um, they, the, the fear that they had, can you imagine what it would be if you're on the, in a dark ship, dark stormy night, and you see this figure coming across the sea at you? And I, I just have an imagine, imagination on this that the Lord loomed larger than real life to them. I mean, I don't think this was some tiny little figure walking across there. I think he was the majestic Lord coming across the sea. That would scare me. And they were terrified. They thought they saw a spirit, it says. Well, um, Peter, what does he do? He cries out. But that's after the Lord says, it is a lie, do not be afraid. Let me give you some examples of, of, from scripture of people that got afraid when they were around the Lord, okay? If you go to Revelation uh, chapter 1 and verse 17, it says that it describes the Lord in just magnificent terms, his face shining as the sun, you know, feet like burning, like blazing, and, and John's afraid. And what does it say? I fell at his feet as a dead man. That's how scared John was when he saw the Lord in the vision of, in the book of Revelation. But what does it say? It says the Lord laid his right hand on him, didn't he? He said, do not fear. I am the first and the last. I am the living one, and I became dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Manoah in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 13, verse 22. Manoah says to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. Wow. Well, they didn't die, but I mean, that's what an overwhelming experience is of coming into the presence of the Lord. So don't blame these dis disciples on the, on the ship in this dark night seeing this figure coming across the, the sea. It'd be a pretty scary thing. In Isaiah, <clears throat> the prophet says, Woe is me, for my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts. Wow. Well, Peter made an answer when the Lord said, you know, who it was. And uh, he said, Lord, if it's you, um, bid me to come to you in the, on the water. Wow. Some people have said, what a thing, you know, he's challenging the Lord. No, he isn't. What does it say in Peter? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and he doesn't scold us for coming to him for wisdom. Well, he said, Lord, if it is you, you know, ask me to come, I'd like to come. Well, also says in James, let him ask in faith, doubting nothing. Did Peter doubt? No, he didn't doubt. He stepped into the sea. I'll tell you, that's not a sign of doubting. I know that I wouldn't, I don't know that I would do that. So, you know, don't, uh, don't, he's the only one that asked to do that too. The other disciples didn't. He said, Lord, if it's you, Ed, bid me to come to you on the sea. Well, I like to think of, of uh, Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, where he says, to the Ephesian elders, now I commend you to God and the word of his grace. What did Peter do? He went to God and he said, I want the word from you, bid me to come. So you see the, the presence of the Lord and his word is what made Peter step out in faith. And that's the way it should be for us too. Also remember this, Jesus' commands are his enablements. He gives the strength for whatever he orders. He will not tell you to do something without giving you the strength to do it. So we don't find Peter stepping down into the water and going bloop down into the bottom of the ocean. We have him walking and he's, he's moving towards the Lord, isn't he? And that's a wonderful thing to see is the, him stepping out in faith. <clears throat> he asked the Lord to lead him on as a sign. And like most of us, Peter begins strong in his step of faith. No further questions. He enters on the restless sea. He's enabled to accomplish all things through Christ's enabling. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul said. And he could do it. He walked on the water. Now, I want to tell you this, too, because we, we as a group of elders feel that we, we need to really strengthen all the saints of God on the subject of apologetics. There are books out today that will tell you that Jesus didn't really walk on the water. There were some rocks underneath. And he stepped on rocks, or he was close to the shore, you know, and he was really wading. Come on, give me a break. These guys are out there working their way across the ocean, and, and the Lord's walking on a sandbar or something like that. It's, it's a joke. The Lord made the sea. He made the universe. There's no problem with him walking on water. 
He could say water be gone by the exercise of his will. He's, uh, my dad used to say, it was really neat in Philadelphia when I grew up, he, he said, people quit, need to quit trying to help God out. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, oh, well, you hear these people saying, a wind blew across the Red Sea and, 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 and they walked on a sandbar across there. You know, why do we need to help God out? He knows what to do. He ran the universe, he built the universe. So don't let anybody uh, hornswoggle you with those kind of stupid statements about, uh, you know, the Lord stepping on rocks or anything. He was walking on top of the water he created. Don't let anybody kid you on that. Well, <clears throat> he came to Jesus. And I'd like to say this. If you look on the screen, so close to the goal, so close to the goal. He was just about there, wasn't he? He's walked on the water and he's all the way up to Christ, up to, the, to his Lord. But what does he do? Starts looking at the surroundings. Oh, oh, look at, look at these. Look at the 28-foot seas, you know, that I was looking at. He gets scared, gets his eye off the Lord, and that's what happens to us. When the Lord launches us into life, it's basically a storm. You can count on it. You're going to have ups and downs and everything. But what you have to remember is that you keep your eye focused on the Lord. We need to keep, I, I have lost sight of him many times in my life. But you know, what do you do when you lose sight of him and you realize it and you're starting to falter, you cry out to the Lord. And hit, someone said, and I think it was uh, J. Vernon McGee in his commentary, he made, the, he made the statement that that's the shortest prayer in the Bible. Lord, save me. He didn't say, oh, God, omnipotent, wonderful, powerful God. No, he said, Lord, save me. And that's what, what counts. Call upon the Lord. Just, Lord, save me. Deliver me in this, this mess I'm in. Well, we can learn a lot from, uh, from what Peter did there. Here's another important thing that I picked up from uh, an early writer, John Nelson Darby. He said, Jesus walks on the water is on solid ground. He who created the elements as they are can well dispose of their qualities at his pleasure. He permits storms to arise for the trial of our faith. He walks on the stormy wave as well as the calm. And this is the point. Listen to this one. The storm makes no difference. He who sinks in the waters does so in the calm as well as in the storm. And he who can walk upon them will do so in the storm as well as in the calm. That's the important thing to remember. It isn't the condition around us that makes the difference as to whether we can move forward in our Christian life. It's the eye fixed on Christ. 
That's what makes the difference. Am I right? Thumbs up. Right. <laughs> well, when circumstances are looked to, faith will fail, and the Lord gets forgotten in the process. Well, the other thing that Scripture says, which I think is very interesting, it says that he was beginning to sink. Beginning to sink is a, is a weird thing to say. Uh, how many of you would think that if you were out at uh, some place and you were, a helicopter had you with you know, some harness underneath you and holding you over the ocean, and all of a sudden the line broke, would you begin to sink or would you sink? You'd sink. All right. Well, here's the point. The reason the scripture is written with that degree of wonderful accuracy there beginning to sink is because it's a picture of the Christian life. When we get our eyes off the Lord, we don't just go down like that. The Lord lets us start to get down under the water. And it's an unusual thing. It's not what would typically happen when you're, when you're going into the water. You just go down, you know. Try jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge and see how long you begin to sink. <laughs> you, know? you, don't even, you don't even need a concrete overcoat either to get down. <laughs> well, <clears throat> beginning to sink, it's not normal in everyday life, but when we get our eyes off of him and become occupied with circumstances, we progressively sink. I don't know if some of you have experienced that in life to where you feel like I'm sinking but I haven't sunk. And I think that's what happens to, to us in the Christian life. And it's, it's a wonderful mercy of the Lord that he doesn't just let us get down like that, you know, when we fail. He, he says, I'm gonna let you start to get scared a little bit, start to sink. And then you'll say, Lord, save me, just like Peter did. Well, also, a lot of people have criticized Peter because the Lord said, oh, you of little faith. Remember this, he didn't say you of no faith. He said you of little faith. And I'll tell you one thing, beloved, it's important to have an eye of faith on the Lord. And what the Lord was saying, it wasn't, it wasn't great enough to keep the process going all the way to him. You know, but he said, oh, you of little faith. Well, in Luke 22, and verse 32, the Lord actually said to Peter, he said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So I can tell you this, and I can assure you this, that he who prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail prays for you and me. He makes that intercession on high. You know, scripture says, about God, he will confirm you to the end blameless in the day of Christ. He will confirm you. So remember, we have God on our side. And if he's on our side, what can man do? What can the circumstances of life do to us? So he prays for us. Well, now, we also have that word immediately that comes up again. Uh, 
immediately the Lord takes a hold of him and he sinks no more. And I think of uh, in Deuteronomy where the scripture says that the eternal God is your dwelling place. And I love this. It doesn't say around you are the everlasting arms. It says underneath are the everlasting arms. And when you stop and think of that, here's this man sinking, progressively, slowly sinking. But whose arms are down underneath you as you're sinking? The everlasting arms of the Lord. Wow. The wind is causing the waves, but Jesus, Lord of Lords, he deals with that and he brings the storm and the sea, the stormy sea to a complete end. That's beautiful. So Peter is accompanied by the Lord back to the ship and, and that's the place of distress. Everybody's distressed on the ship, but now the Lord is with them on the ship and storm is over, just like that. And if you look into the, um, uh, I think it's in John's account where the scripture says that immediately they were on the other side. It doesn't say that in Matthew here. It doesn't, there's no uh, conflict between the two accounts. It just doesn't say that. But in John's gospel, we have another miracle that takes place. And that is that the minute the Lord gets in the boat, they're teleported. They're beamed over to the other side, so to speak. They're there. That doesn't typically happen, does it? And I think myself that there's a picture there of what we're going through. We as the people of God are going through the storms of life. We've been dispatched by the Lord. He's on high making intercession for us. He sees our condition. He has absolute knowledge of it. He's above the fray of it all. And yet, what happens is when he comes for us, the storm is over. Are you looking forward to that, beloved? I am. Every day I look up at the sky and say, maybe today it's going to open up. I'm going to hear a big blast of a trumpet. Up we go, you know. I'd rather go with the upper taker than the undertaker, you know. That's an old trite expression, but it, it's true, you know. It, uh, one hymn writer said, in hope we lift our wishful longing eyes, waiting to see the morning star arise. How bright and how gladsome will his advent be before the sun shines forth in majesty because he will shine forth in majesty during that millennial age. Well, <clears throat> when they see what happened and he gets into the ship, the wonderful thing to notice is that um, in the ship, it says that they said, truly, this is the son of God. I would just say this, that when we acknowledge the deity of the Lord Jesus, it's an expression of worship. So they had a little worship meeting there on the, on the ship when they saw what happened, that Peter was accompanied back to the ship with, by the Lord. They see the storm ending, 
And it says that they said, truly, you're the son of God. Psalm 50, verse 23 says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Nahum 1, 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And I think it goes on to say, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Well, that was a wonderful thing, and I think that um, uh, the fact that, that it got calm and they got over to the other side, that would probably be around the arrival of dawn. You know, the, the dawn was coming. And in Malachi 4.2, here's a very precious promise. God says, to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, shall arrive with healing in his wings. And then in Luke 178, you remember the statement being made that the sunrise from on high shall visit us. Well, and we have the Lord in the ship. He comes there at the, at the just before dawn. And then immediately they're at Gennesaret. And, and I believe myself that, that what happened there is typology of the millennium. What's going to happen in the millennium? The time of the storms is over. The healing occurs. The healing of the nations. Believe me, nobody will get turned down during the millennium. People, the Lord will heal the land. It says, they shall not hurt at all in my holy mountain. It says the lion's going to lay down with a, with a lamb. You know, the child will play at the, at the den of a viper. All of that's going to take place then. Well, and I think in typology, that's what we see here. If we turn over to uh, Psalm 107, and if you'll give me a minute, I'll bring that up on the, I don't know if I can bring it up on the screen or not. Psalm 107, if you want to follow along in your own copy of the scriptures there. In Psalm 107, verse 23, I want to tell you about, I think, what was prophetic of what happened in Matthew's gospel. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on great waters. Do we do business on great waters, folks? The Lord is calling us to do business on great waters. It says, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. Think of William Cowper's uh, stanza from one of his hymns, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Beautifully done by poetry there. They saw the deeds of the Lord. Guess who raises up the storm? You think the Lord is away from nature or is, is nature under his control? So the Lord raises up the storm. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, 
The 25th verse of Psalm 107 says, For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. So if there's a storm that's been brought into your life, beloved, or my life, guess who brought it? It's the Lord. Take it as from his hand. It says they mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. I felt that when, they, when I was being transferred between those two ships. I felt like I went down to the depths and up on the crest of a wave. It was pretty scary. It says their courage melted away in their evil plight. And evil in the, in the Old Testament often means calamity. It's a time of calamity. It says they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. But now here comes the short prayer. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. The storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. So he dealt with the cause, and the waves of the sea are over. It says, then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. You know, God has not called us for some easy um, time. If you think life is going to be easy, let's check with Johanna over here. <laughs> wasn't real easy, was it? <laughs> but we have trials. A couple of years ago, I had to have a pacemaker put in. Went into the hospital when it was loaded with COVID patients. Never got it myself, but that was a storm I went through. But I'm, I'm here on the other side, aren't I? I'm a, and I'm glad. And I've, I've had to learn lessons through it, and I think that you and I, we have to learn lessons as we go through these storms of life. If we don't, guess what? The Lord's gonna bring more storms on our life because he uses those storms in a wondrous way. Let me turn you to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. For your testing. In the New Living Translation, in 1 Peter 1.7, it says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests pure gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through the many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. There's coming a day when you and I, beloved, are, are gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our, our lives are gonna be reviewed as to how we behaved, how did we, how did we fare on those storms of life that we went through 
And I love what it says, you know, it talks about the, the wood, hay, and stubble being burned and, and you know, done away with. But the, the key phrase in that scripture is, then each shall have his praise from the Lord. So don't look, beloved, at the judgment seat of Christ as a time when you're going to feel embarrassed like your clothes are falling off or anything. That's not the point. The point is the Lord's going to level out everything, and it says he's going to look for something in your life and my life that he can praise you for. And it may be a small thing. I'd like to have a lot. But, you know, when we, when we reach that point in time and we're given a crown, what does it say that they cast their crowns before the Lord? A lot of people say, well, I'm working for a crown. I'm working for a crown. I'm working for one I can throw down. And why would you throw it down? You and I would throw the crown down because the Lord is the one that gave us the enablement to earn the crown. It's like when I was a little kid in Philadelphia, my mother would, would give me a quarter to put in the collection plate. And I'd put it in, I'd feel so good about it. Well, why should I? All I was doing was throwing a crown down that I was given by somebody else, right? But nonetheless, we should live our lives in such a way to where we would be pleasing to him. I want to have the crown to throw down, but I want to throw it down to the one who's worthy. Well, <clears throat> that brings us to, I think, the closing song today that we're going to have, which is so beautiful. And I'd just read you, like to read you some parts of it because it meant so much to me. But the team will be singing it for you and you'll be joining it. Some words go like this. When the long night has ended and the storms come no more, let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore. In that land where the tempest never comes, Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes by. So beloved, let's, let's go back through the summary of this life application. Know that Jesus is Lord of the storm. That's number one I want us to take away today. Number two, trust him as the one who is above the storm. Remember, he's walking on the water. He's not drowning in it. Step out in faith as he directs you. I don't hear the disciples arguing, saying, Lord, we don't want to get in the ship. No, they got in the ship and they went. They did what he, they were told. So do the same thing in our lives, you and me. Realize that storms are a normal part of life's labor for him. Another application is that we would accept that his testing, his training, and demonstration of our faith is something to be expected. Now, next one. Keep your eyes and trust on him and not on the fear of the circumstances that are around you. And finally, seek his hand by prayer for deliverance when you falter. Do you think you're not going to falter in life? <laughs> I falter. <laughs> and I'm just a typical Christian. We all falter in many ways. 
And remember, he promises to keep you and bring you safely through that storm of life that you're going through. Let's look to him in, in prayer in closing. Lord, thank you that you are the Lord of the storms. You indeed raise them up. You allow them in our lives. You are in them. You are through them. And you are there for us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us the privilege to do business on great waters. This is indeed a, a terrible scene that we're on. But we're here as your emissaries. We thank you, Lord, too, that you say in your word in Matthew's gospel, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And make disciples of the nations. And then he, he goes on to say to us, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Help us to lay hold of that by faith, that, Lord, you are with us always, even to the end of the age. And so I pray as that we go forth from this room today that we might face the storms of life by keeping our eyes upon you, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Jesus' name, amen.